Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here as ever with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you this week? I'm keeping on, keeping on, man. Uh, that's all we can do right now really, isn't it? Is to try and focus on the positives, try and keep ourselves entertained, maybe take up a new hobby. Uh, you've got all the time in the world for, well, some of us have got uh, more time than others. I yeah, <laughs> uh, you and I, Paul, may be less lucky in the fact that we're both uh, continuing to work from home. Oh, the joys of technology, a blessing and a curse in this particular, <laughs> yeah, particular yeah. case. Yeah, I mean, I think I should. Some a big part of me is grateful that I'm working. Don't get me wrong, but there are times when you look around and people are taking up new hobbies and like. And there's a few people on my Instagram feed like, oh look at me watching through all my unwatched Blu-rays. I'm not going to get a chance to do that, but I shouldn't complain. I am very grateful to be continuing be to be able to work from home. So I get out of the way. Although you know if they want to give me I'll probably take a week off when I'm back to catch up with some Blu-rays yeah yeah absolutely and so yeah. from your side man like you're having to do what is probably what like a sort of nine to five-ish type schedule still yeah so I'm doing uh yeah basically nine till half nine till six basically every day at the moment um so yeah the important thing I find is making sure you get showered um and wear socks <laughs> socks make me socks make me feel like a professional um i haven't yet i haven't yet sat and worked in my pants you'll be pleased to know pete so uh yeah i've been quite disciplined myself get up shower make sure i'm fully dressed before i start work and then it gives you focus it's not as difficult as i thought it would be to be honest working from home it kind of i'm surprisingly i get on with it surprisingly well yeah i mean i i am um uh a man for wearing pajama pants whilst doing my uh, remote work at times <laughs> but we won't tell anyone about that or broadcast it anywhere um, and how look, given the schedule that you've got how is this affecting film watching like is it business as usual for you like cramming films in in the evening mostly at the weekends uh, is it has it changed at all your habit other than the fact that obviously we can't go out to the cinema at the moment no I'm missing the cinema I'll be honest because because I went on such a frequent basis that I, I do miss it it's very weird uh, I keep I have this great humorous anecdote where I keep logging into the Odeon app and going to my wife I wonder what's at the cinema and then pretend it feigning a sad face when there's nothing on it's not really feigning a sad face I'm quite missing it uh no I'd, I'd say I'm still watching them yeah what probably watching more blu-rays now at least so uh making the most of the money I spent on the system at home I guess is, is the benefit of that um but yeah I am missing the cinema it is yeah it's not quite it's not quite the same at home to be honest um yeah it's not uh, far off but it's not quite I'm just as bad as you man like I'll, I'll turn to Francesca occasionally like every day or two and just be like should we go to the pub <laughs> and obviously yeah. there is absolutely no chance of that well uh, this is all you know nice catch up but I suppose we should get on with the business of the show we have got an absolutely jam packed show because things have changed but the show goes on um, as we mentioned on last week's show we've shifted a little bit in terms of focus we're focusing more on streaming platforms of course that's what people have access to uh, when the cinemas are all boarded up and, and closed at this point so what we're going to feature today is the only thing that we could feature at this time I think and it is in fact a limited series that will be our feature review of Tiger King which at this point I think everybody's seen so we can probably get a little bit the whole world we can get actually, a bit spoilery yeah. when we get to that one but that's not everything that we have in the show we've got after that a top five related to the feature in so much as we will be counting down our top five streaming documentaries 
documentary films or series. So we've been a bit flexible, but we're focused on documentaries, maybe that you'll bounce onto once you've bounced out of Tiger King. Uh, in addition, we have, as usual, the new section of the show, Stream Team, where we're going to make recommendations from uh, Amazon, Movie, Netflix, uh, All Four, Film Four, and so forth. In addition, we have, of course, Popcorn Movies, talking about the films we've been watching over the last, well, <laughs> let's be honest, Paul, we've basically missed a week of the show. So pretty much two weeks, uh, near enough two weeks. Uh, and so, well, we should get into that about now, I would say, right? Do you want to jump straight in or should we take a little break? No, we can jump straight in. We'll, we'll jump straight into uh, we'll jump straight into popcorn movies for sure. So um, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna you're gonna like what I've done here, Pete. To be honest, I think this will be probably one of your proudest moments of me when you realise how I've lined up my popcorn movies this week. But I you, I know you're excited. We're gonna get into it. So um, the first film I wanted to talk about is a film that I think I've already talked about this year, but I have rewatched it for the first time. So I wanted to discuss kind of how it stood up on second viewing after seeing it at the cinema. Uh, this is Mark Jenkins' film Bait from 2019 which I still maintain on second viewing would sit high on my top 10 films of 2019 list had I seen it in time um, it's an incredibly uh, bold feature shot on a very very old camera and like manually reconstructed with a great performance from um, a guy called Edward Rowe uh, basically he plays a fisherman called Martin in the Cornish town um, and he is kind of trying to uh, trying to become accustomed to new life when a lot of tourists have moved in so the film is I, I think for I don't like describing things like this when you say one director meets another director but David Lynch meets Ken Loach I think would be would be fairly apt here it's a very very bizarre film I've not seen any a film quite like it it's an incredibly distinctive piece of work um, some of the editing is absolutely incredible it's just it's just there's a whole weird atmosphere to the film that I really really like and the film it just it stands up in, incredibly well uh, to second viewing so Pete I don't think if you caught up with no Pete, I haven't yeah. man like it's one that I've, no, I've okay. really been meaning to get to and I know it comes highly recommended from you and sort of everybody else that I've seen or at least that, yeah. I, that I listen to so uh, yeah and it's and it's uh, sort of like a 4-3-ish ratio right the film yeah yeah absolutely it was shot on a I'm just I'm going to remind myself of how what camera it was shot on because I did make a note and I've left my notes downstairs so that was a good shout so um, yeah if you haven't seen it yet I think it's um, I think think it's streaming on the BBC BFI player at the moment um, I know it's set, oh, I know it's certainly up for rental um, so you can pick it up pretty cheap at the moment but yeah if you haven't seen it it's definitely one of the um, it was shot on um, a shot with clockwork cameras on 16 millimeter film stock and then manually and then manually patched back together so if you watch the documentary about the making of it on the blu-ray it's absolutely incredible with how they with how they've put this together but yeah it's a, just an incredibly distinctive piece of work and a film I would say almost like no other to be fair that i've seen so yeah bait bait becomes still remains very very highly recommended superb piece of work nice um yeah kick off here then because we've got loads of these to get through i'll be brief as as it can be um i've seen finally seen uh, goon from 2011 this one from director michael douse who's gone on to do stuff like uh, stuba which you liked a little bit and i didn't like very much uh, what if with yeah. daniel radcliffe <laughs> as well that i haven't caught up with yet uh, a kind of work a day director i mean uh, it's all gone pete tong i've also somehow missed out that's a, a tragedy for me um, but th this one has got to be the best of Michael Douse, I would imagine. You've got uh, Sean William Scott in a leading role, an actor who's kind of disappeared off the radar in recent years. He's been doing bits and pieces here and there. But here, uh, what, almost 10 years ago, I think he's sort of at the height of his powers. He plays this guy who is an idiot pretty much but like a lovable idiot uh whose uh, mate is jay Bar played by jay baruchel jay baruchel is just a, a dick 
throughout the movie, just a really annoying, immature dick. But um, he does a sort of uh, youtube show covering particularly ice hockey, well, specifically within ice hockey, the enforcers, the brawlers, the guys who aren't necessarily the good players, but are there to punch people in the face. Uh, like, you know, in Ice Hockey Man, when uh, the two guys decide to have a fight and they literally throw down, throw down their gloves, they're allowed to have that fight. The the uh, officials will let it play out and see who is the last man standing, effectively. For a reasonable <laughs> amount of time, they can have a reasonable amount of violence on the ice. And into this role steps the Sean William Scott character as a guy who, yeah, may not know much, but knows how to punch a guy in the face. Uh, and then we follow his ascent through the ranks as purely that like a pretty terrible ice hockey player but a fantastic brawler <laughs> it's good fun man it's good fun there's good gut like blood splattering across the ice and across the glass around the perimeter of the ice we've got some pretty good comedy timing from sean william scott less so jay baruchel who i just found like an irritant in this thing um and yeah it's got a kind of um knowing sense to it as well there's like a couple of nods to things like the mighty ducks if you're familiar with that or other ice hockey movies there's stuff for you there so yeah it's a good well you know it's not the uh the most intellectually stimulating film of all time but it's a knockabout bit of fun and i enjoyed it and i'm glad that i caught up with it rather than letting it pass by this one is on uh one of the streaming platforms at the moment i think prime maybe i think it might have appeared on prime yeah i'll give it a go because i've been meaning to watch it for a while because like you i've read quite good things and just never managed to catch up with yeah. it so i will decent, check it out decent. for sure what else have you got uh next pete are you ready for this i've got a film called bait uh from this is a film called bait from 2014 uh this is directed by um an emma ex emmerdale actor called dominic brunt um, this uh, I'll give IMDb the credit for this synopsis. Uh, Bex and Dawn are trapped. They dream of taking control of their lives and making their own upmarket cafe, but no one will give people them people like them the opportunity. So it's about two women trying to set up their own business. Um, it appears that this guy this guy appears on the scene. It appears it's too good to be true. He makes them an offer uh, for a loan that they don't take up um, because he wants 40% interest. Um, and then he decides to start chasing them and terrorizing them, even though he hasn't actually lent them the money. Um, this is one of the worst films I've seen in many a year. I'll be perfectly honest. I, I hated Bait. Uh, I'm going to be frank with you. I absolutely hated this. It has almost no redeeming features. The uh, the actors the actors give it their best, um, but just because you can direct a film doesn't always mean you should. This it just the story is the scripts are fast. The story is ridiculous. As I said, he offers to lend them money. They refuse it. Uh, and leave the money with him and then he starts to chase them anyway and starts there's there's a complete um, misuse of some crap violence like it's violence for violence sake you know I've, I've said before like with gratuitous kind of exploitation stuff I normally quite enjoy it and I think I said we've said that on the show before I've got a higher tolerance for trash than you have particularly but even by my even for my tolerance this was just badly done the violence just it was just awkward it wasn't it wasn't effective it was just badly done it was completely overblown in places the film was ridiculously gory it didn't fit the tone i don't know what they were thinking giving this man money to make a film like stick to soap acting mate and don't direct another film please uh i did not like uh bait from 2014 yeah it baited it baited you purely by having the same title as another better film called bait it sounds like yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
Um, yeah. I have another one, uh, which, uh, yeah, again, I'm going to put in the category of uh, pretty decent. Uh, pretty decent. Three stars. Uh, this one is Close, which is currently streaming on Netflix from a young British director, female director called Vicky Jusen, who uh, is all of 33 or something like that, I think, uh, at this point. This is a vehicle very much for the talents of Numi Rapace. Numi Rapace always seems to play, or often seems to play, uh, tough woman with past baggage um you know some past trauma yeah, and or baggage yeah. if you look through her, her cv you'll see a lot of those types of roles but i like her man she's game she's feisty and in this thing she plays this close protection operative who's charged with protecting a young seemingly fairly bratty overprivileged uh, young woman a british another british actress there i forget the name and um that girl is in line to inherit a massive um massively uh, lucrative is the wrong word, um, valuable, I guess, portion of the family business after the death of her father. Uh, from this point, she is obviously um, chased by sort of faceless bad guys in a sort of uh, taken styley. I would say the upside to the movie is it's got this really efficient, really kind of almost exhilarating opening and opening few sequences with it. And a it director does, yeah. that, that clearly good. already has a real handle on how to shoot sort of uh, thriller action, which I appreciated a lot. Also, some really inventive transitions. We've got things like the two of them in a nightclub where the girl gets hit on. Rapace's character steps in to make sure she's okay. There's a pounding bass beat in the club, which then blends out into the next sequence, which is a chopper blade. Little things, but things that I notice and really appreciate it, particularly in the work of, you know, up and coming filmmakers that this got made is definitely a plus what is a minus is the fact that the film sort of crumbles away i think it sort of turns into such a generic story of as i said previously like faceless goons none of them identifiable by any particular characteristics other than being bad um and it and it all becomes just a bit standard and a bit stock and a bit by numbers and i lost interest somewhat by the film's conclusion. I want to add one more thing, Paul, because I know you've seen this and I want to get your thoughts. There is a bit, little detail in this movie that I think could go uh, sort of overlooked and shouldn't be, where the um, young charge to Numi Rapace has, for the first time in her life, had to shoot a gun and shoot a person. And we see this all the time in movies, right? Where a character who doesn't know about firearms uses one and kills someone or injures someone. And usually within a couple of moments, they're back to, you know, normal life, just carrying on, just getting on with things, running around. In this case, the director takes a moment to see that character just like falling apart because of what she's just witnessed. And I think it's yeah. such a powerful little um, example of good filmmaking. So for the standout points, I really commend Vicky Dusen on this project. It's a shame that it goes so stock and so generic by the time it gets into its second half. Did you like the movie, Paul? I did, yeah. It's, it does not one that's massively stayed with me, but you've brought back bits of it to me now. And I'm with you. I think there's elements here that were really, really good. And I think it, it shows potential for, for the filmmaker, for sure. Uh, and yeah, I kind of agree with you. It did kind of, it did kind of tail off into 
uh, not as interesting towards the end. But no, overall, I thought it was. I remember quite enjoying yeah. it. So yeah, that's, that's worth worth checking out. If you Terrific. Sure. I think it's the closing credits use of uh, the Kate Bush track running up that hill as well. It's it's a cover yes, version, but one of my yeah, but really well fair. placed. Yeah. There's a, a Meg Myers version at the moment uh, that she's done recently that you should check out on Spotify, etc. Okay, because I'm a big fan of the placebo cover, so I haven't heard the um. On the, on the yeah, it's really out, good. So. Uh, anyway, that's yeah. uh, by the by close, uh, not bad. <laughs> what have you got next? Uh, I've got um, Pete. <laughs> Can you guess what this is? This is a film called Bates, Pete. From, uh, it's like the record got stuck. <laughs> from 2012. I did all these in one day. Um, I was intended on watching more films called Bait, but the, this one and the last one I watched, just I had to stop. Yeah, like, I can't yeah you, you can't stay anymore. in all day baiting, Paul. You, can, you cannot. You cannot. <laughs> no, that's, that's a fair shout. Um, so this is an Australian film, um, and the premise of this one is a freak tsunami trap shoppers at a coastal Australian supermarket inside the building, along with... 12 foot great white sharks oh i've oh, seen this shit. one yeah, <laughs> yeah um yeah it's so it's got some moments of promise um i have to say and in small parts i think it, it's quite entertaining but just for me at times it's it's too ridiculous for its own good um the fact that people can out outclass sharks and un- underwater is just bizarre and i think just this the the kind of the sub pass the sub soap opera level of acting in this just it's impossible to look past it i think like and like it's don't get me wrong like in film in sort of b movies like this the acting isn't always the most important part but you need someone that can carry the film and the vast majority of the cast here are just absolutely terrible so yeah i can't really give it a, a a blazing recommendation it's certainly not the shallows um it's definitely it's not, not it's not even um, it's not even 47 it's not even down. deep blue sea though is it like that's what i kept thinking when i said no I, I think you're right to be fair yeah do you remember much yeah of it, i or? mean the the underwater underwater underground parking garage bit was kind of dope when they had the girl who gets basically abandoned in her car and then has to get up on the roof like that sequence was good but you're right like line delivery is not the strong suit of really anyone involved in the no. movie and I think, and that's the thing. I just think you need, you know, you need, uh, you need someone that's, that's good enough to carry it, like to to convince you that the film works. If you look at Crawl, for example, the performances are actually really good in Crawl. Like, so you, you like you can't just have CGI sharks and expect to and expect to deliver a to expect to deliver a successful B movie. You need other elements. And yeah, for me, especially after watching Forty Seven Meters Down, Uncaged, mm-hmm. Un- beneath, Uncaged, which one yeah. I forget the sequel. I did watch Uncaged. Yeah, that was better than this. Um, in fairness, both Forty Seven Down Meters his films are definitely much better than this so yeah uh my third film of, of the bait triple bill um was this one and at this point i've just given up i was just like, i'm just going to watch something else but that's but that's <laughs> so, got to have been number two in your rankings of bait films surely this was so this was actually the second one that i watched so they got great they went from superb with bait from 2019 then this one because this is the one that my mum watched on netflix so my mum wants film recommendations so i sent the recommendation i was like bait's incredible you need to find it and she started watching this and apparently got about half half an hour in and then double checked to go is there sharks in the film you recommended i was like no <laughs> you're watching the wrong film mum so in honor of that i decided to watch as many films called bait as i could stomach yeah, in one day it, uh, and the end result was it's this. that it's that sort of a grainy black and white four three aspect ratio movie about the cornish fishing <laughs> yeah. town which is besieged by a tsunami full of sharks <laughs> You're full of loan sharks. There we go. That, that actually, that actually. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It blends them all together and, in one in one. And uh, shouts so. the forty-seven meters down uncaged. Currently streaming on Netflix, so it's easier than ever to check that out because it sounds like it's. Uh, well, I know from experience, it's definitely a step above bait the shark movie. Anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so that, that brings me to the end of my bait uh, popcorn movies. I do have a couple more. They're not called bait, unfortunately. And that was basically, that was my genius joke that I wanted everyone to be excited about. Um, so, uh, Pete, what's up uh, next So, yeah, <laughs> underwater uh, parking level and distress. I watched a film called Underwater, Paul. What a segue. Uh, this one is one that you've talked about already on the show. So, again, I'll try and be brief. It's a Chris... I quite like this yeah, one, I'll be honest. Yeah, it's a Kristen Stewart movie that um, I can sum it up like this from my point of view. It starts, it kind of in connection with uh, Close, actually, it starts with a phenomenal opening. In so much as, uh, there's a caveat, but in so much as we've got Kristen Stewart on her own, uh, dead silence. She's in some kind of facility. We know the facility is underwater. We could have guessed it from the title, but we're given some establishing stuff. We've also got this information in the opening sequence in sort of um, newspaper cuttings flashing up on screen that something mysterious or unexplained has happened happen deep below the ocean surface and um, this is obviously going to play out in some way in the movie but we've got Kristen Short on her own she encounters a spider in a basin she wants to rescue the spider and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and she is uh, just in the middle of a crisis because her facility is rapidly flooding hence the title of the movie uh, really well handled really engaging really got me locked into the action then you have the central 45 minutes of the film which is a sort of murky badly plotted uh sort of indistinct set of things that happen to a group of people most of which i don't think are necessary in terms of the group the group that they have i don't know why mm. this movie needed a group of people i don't know why this movie needed no. to scream at me this is an alien you know, so often as I was watching it. And particularly, you know, TJ Miller, no one can hire TJ Miller anymore because all the stuff that he's done in his, his sort of private life. But at this time when they made the movie, which I think was three or four years ago when it was finished, uh, it's only a 2020 or 2019 release. Uh, TJ Miller was hireable. But here it's like, what what are we doing? Like we've got this light relief jokes he he's trying far too hard in this as well yeah. like he's uh, he's in silicon valley he's great he, he did he, when he lands jokes he can be funny whether his, his private life aside but no i'm with you in this one he just feels he feels he does and this. he's not what is he what is he there for so that the underwater facility has someone to smoke like hydroponic weed i don't i don't understand why he's there <laughs> and then vincent cassell is some kind of scientist no he isn't come on now he's a lover he's a fighter but he is not a scientist uh kristen stewart i can buy her in most things and i think she's pretty good here and then um i just want to say like the movie pulls round i think in the end it finishes relatively strong it's just a shame for me that it sort of sunk so low uh into yeah particularly in terms of the like the visual grammar of this movie just doesn't add up and it becomes very clear the bits that are shot in a studio the bits that are shot in a swimming pool and the bits that are cgi on a budget exteriors long shots mm. uh, you know showing the the general scene under the water and that's an issue if you start thinking about how the filmmakers put the film together it takes you out of the action and and that's a shame really here because i was keen uh, on checking this out and they, like i say as i've said there's certainly stuff to recommend it and you know uh, I think when we did the preview for the film I said as a Kristen Stewart completist at this point I was going to see it no matter what uh, come what may but in the end for me it left me fairly underwhelmed because of the middle section of the film I guess yeah I'm kind of with you I mean I saw I, did you see it at the cinema or no, I've seen it at home, home. 
So the cinema helped it, I think, to be honest, because because uh, I found it. I, I see where you're coming from. It certainly was a mixed bag. It's it's no classic by a long stretch, but I quite enjoyed it as a as a genre piece. And I thought the the middle sections for me, I, I get where you're coming from. They are a bit. They are arguably underwater. Um, but I quite I quite enjoyed this at the big in the big screen to be honest. But again, it's, it's will it will it stand the test of a second viewing? And I'm not convinced to be honest. So I may just keep my fond memories of it uh, as a, as a surprise as a surprisingly enjoyable trip to the cinema and just leave yeah, it at that. I think I, from this. From I, this I suppose that, so. my my overriding thought about the movie, and again, this probably isn't a good sign when you have these thoughts, is this movie, but Kristen Stewart's on her own, kind of Sandra Bullock mm. in Gravity style. That would be a better film. Yeah. That would just be a better film. Mm. Maybe she can encounter someone. She can encounter Vincent Cassell if you want to shoehorn him in. But you didn't need the squad of people. You didn't need the banter no. between. You just didn't need it. It didn't add anything. So yeah, it's a mixed bag underwater. What have you got next? Uh, Frozen 2, Pete, which as you're aware, I watched just before we came on air um, for the first time because I missed this at the cinema somehow um, and I've just watched it. So yeah, Frozen 2 directed once again by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee, who I believe were responsible for the original. Uh, the original I'm fairly fond of. I think it's. I thought it was a decent enough film. I quite like um, the way it, play, it plays around with gen gender representation and like the, the way it ended I quite liked with Frozen. So yeah, big enough fan of the original I would say. So I was kind of looking forward to this. Um, this is... Uh, visually beautiful like absolutely absolutely stunning in places the effects work is incredible the set pieces look fantastic the songs are really enjoyable again and it's it's an enjoyable ride it's just a shame that it's just a narrative mess i had no i no idea where we were no real idea where we were going and i i guess by the end of this elsa's the fifth element um is probably the only the only thing i can really glean from this the bits of the film look like it's going to go down to kind of an annihilation route um and then it's not that dark <laughs> don't panic <laughs> that's a movie i'd, I'd want to see not, man. yeah it's not anywhere near that dark but the kind of elements of that and then yeah and then elsa's the fifth element i think at the end um i didn't really know what was going on for most of this it looks very pretty it sounds great um i had fun with it um but it's a bit of a mess in my opinion have you caught up with it Pete? i you know i, I would i would wouldn't be so harsh as to say as a man in his mid-30s, I haven't rushed to see Frozen 2. But <laughs> that is also factually accurate. Uh, Francesca's seen it, so I think that I'll be pulled in maybe for a reviewing at some point uh, for, for yeah. her re-watching for her at, at some stage. But no, I haven't seen it yet. Although it does make me think about something that I saw today that I'd recommend, which is uh, on YouTube. You can, I've been watching an awful lot of YouTube recently. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel has done a version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with his two youngest kids, one of whom is I think right, okay. four and the boy is uh, the girls are maybe four and the boy is two years old and they have to answer questions and the specialist subject of his daughter is the frozen films so it's right, okay. unbelievably <laughs> adorable check it out I think he's going to host the new series or something like that of the celebrity version of that show but yeah it's worth okay. checking out but yeah this I haven't seen so would you say that I should make the time for it or not bother Visually, from a visual point of view, it looks incredible. Like genuinely, it's it's a it's a fun film. Like I would, I don't know. Yeah, it's I wouldn't say it's 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 not as good as the original. It's certainly not essential viewing. But I I've seen a lot worse Disney Disney animations than this one. To be fair, yeah, I don't I don't want to lose like all my cool points. But I haven't seen Frozen either. 
So I've, I've got a double bill in my Peter. future, surely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, now you can double bill it. So yeah, you absolutely have to watch both. Nice. Uh, one that I know, man, that you have seen. So again, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it or, or you reiterate anyway your thoughts on it. Uh, I caught up with the Peanut Butter Falcon. This is the Shia LaBeouf project directed or co-directed, I should say, by Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz. Um, very short um, p- potted description of the movie is... A boy with Down syndrome breaks out of the facility where uh, Dakota Johnson and others are caring for him because he wants to explore the world, essentially. Um, He runs off and bumps into the character played by Shia LaBeouf, who is this guy down on his luck, working uh, sort of hand-to-mouth to to make ends meet. And they go on something of a road trip together, or a sort of... uh, path trip more so they're on foot for the duration um exploring and bonding through their shared love of amongst other things professional wrestling uh the peanut butter falcon of the title that might sound a bit confusing as the name for this movie is eventually the character that is adopted by the boy uh who is played by zach gotsagen i believe gotsagen i don't know um who wants to have a professional wrestling match and ultimately on their journey wants to reach this training facility and this training program that he's found out about through watching old dated vhs videotapes i think it's heartfelt um almost to a fault honestly i think that uh, a couple of sequences a couple of dialogue sequences with shia labeouf are just testament to how good shia labeouf is at this point at embodying uh, these kind of grounded physically able kind of edgy kind of outsider characters not unlike he did in something like american honey so all that stuff i appreciate dakota johnson's character is entirely underwritten um, and is just here to sort of speak platitudes and and sort of nod in the direction of the idea that she has an actual profession it that doesn't seem very plausible to me not a lot of it is very plausible in relation to things like the care system but don't get bogged down in that go along for the ride uh it gets into a sort of magic realist uh mode by the by the end by the wrestling sequences at the end <laughs> yeah the rest which, of the which is great, cool yeah. which is enjoyable <laughs> there's some sort of interesting characters met along the way not least the guy who is totally blind and will kill you until he knows that you uh but you know love love our lord and savior jesus christ at which point he'll baptize you in a lake uh it, it it's it's a heartwarming movie paul but there, there are points where i also think oh it's a heartwarming movie like you're you're manipulating me with some of this stuff um, and i'm not necessarily buying it but uh, i liked it i liked it overall how about you yeah i think i'm pretty much with you to be fair what's interesting is apparently the um the the actor that the actor that what, who was the other guy in it you've got shyla booth and the guy zach um, got sagan zach got sagan so apparently shyla booth was drinking initially drinking quite heavily on set for this um and kind of the nearly i think i get the impression kind of nearly got fired was turning up as a mess and Zach Gotsigan kind of sat down and spoke to him, and apparently, from what Charlotte Booth said, like just turned him mm. round, and he was like, "Look, this is I want I want to be in this film. I want this to work, and you're not fucking helping." Like, and apparently, from what he was saying in the interview, he hasn't drunk since. I think that was that was the interview I read since he had that kind of sort of sit down conversation with him. So I think it's quite a personal film for 
for both actors to be fair um and i think that that comes across i think it is quite heartfelt in some of the performances i agree with you in parts it kind of does it does kind of hit you over the head a little bit in parts but i can forgive it i think uh, and jake the snake roberts is in it looking like really old. yeah man like there's a bunch of people in it uh, the rapper yellow wolf is in this as one of the like goony people who's hanging out with john hawks who's in the movie as well uh, john yeah. bernthal's in it thomas hayden church shows up later in the movie in a, in a pivotal role so yeah, yeah that there, there are definitely yeah. bruce dern's in it early on or, or, course yeah which is always nice to uh, absolutely so yeah there's loads to recommend the movie and like the, the kind of heartfelt stuff at times did really work for me there was a moment where i felt like am i gonna just emotionally crumble right now i didn't um and i think that maybe on reflection it's not as good of a movie as it felt at the time uh, which may sound like I'm overthinking it, but yeah, I, I suppose some of the confection of the thing kind of just wore off after I'd seen, you know, after I'd finished uh, my viewing of it. But it, it's a good movie, man. It's a good movie. Check it out. It's the Peanut Butter Falcon. What else have you got? Uh, I finally jumped on the bandwagon after sort of sitting there watching this film sit on top ten of Netflix. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to watch Contagion. I'm not going to do it. I rewatched Contagion. Finally, we I, I broke my willpower broke, and I watched Steven Soderbergh's Contagion from 2011. Um, yeah, I think probably people get the plot of this. It's quite it's quite a scarily accurate film in terms of the fact it covers um, an outbreak of a new uh, a novel virus um, that is thankfully in the film a lot more a lot more lethal than what we're dealing with at the moment. So um, there is that to be. At least we haven't got the virus that's in the film. I'll give it that much. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a solid movie, I think, and actually scarily accurate when you look at what's when you look at what's going on at the moment. So undoubtedly, Soderbergh's done his homework um, in terms of how people would react in situations and how governments would react um downsides to it jude law's in it um and is completely miscast and i don't rate jude law as an actor at all to be honest i don't it's, he seems to put on an accent even though he's already british i'm like what what are you doing jude law i don't i don't get it i've never seen i've never seen the appeal of jude law as an actor he kind of lets it down a little bit there's a marion coutelard subplot that's a touch on the silly side for my taste and I think the only, as much as, again, it's, it's a solid, well-made film, but my only issue with it, with a lot of Steven Soderbergh stuff, is it's quite clinical um, in terms of its, its presentation. Like it's very, very, I guess dry is maybe the word I'd describe to use it. It's 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 good. I wouldn't say it's massively enjoyable at all times. I just feel, yeah, just a bit clinical in terms of its execution. I think he's a very, very technical filmmaker, but at times a bit too dry for my taste. So yeah, Contagion, still decent, very, very accurate um, in terms of, yeah, that's that's the interesting part of it, I guess. Um, and hope we should, well, it might give you an idea of where we go next after coronavirus, but we shall, we shall see. So have you watched it recently, Pete, with thoughts on, thoughts uh, on it from no, memory? No, not or? recently. I, I resisted the temptation, although I was very close to watching it. It's funny how like the, all the streaming platforms, these movies about documentaries and, you know, fictional features have come to the top of the pile which are all about yeah. you know pandemics <laughs> and stuff like that so uh yeah I'll, and maybe at some point we're going to be at home for a while i'll probably watch it soon if i'm honest yeah <laughs> uh, next one for me paul i again will attempt to be brief this one is dream lover this is one of these 90s sort of quote unquote erotic thrillers that um i hadn't yet ticked off the list and it's a subgenre that i quite appreciate at, at certain times uh, this one <laughs> written and directed by nicholas kazan who is a uh, writer primarily who worked in television and movies writing on things like Matilda if you remember the, the feature with Danny DeVito uh, here he directed a feature and after this film never directed another one there are reasons for that Paul there are big reasons for that uh, do, have you seen this Dream Lover uh, yeah. okay so 
You know, uh, Machin Armik, or Amik, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, Wikipedia is correct me, and I think it's Armik, the girl who is in Twin Peaks, the kind of uh, temptress in, in Twin Peaks, dark hair, you know who I'm talking about? I can't remember the yes. character's name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's her, and it is your boy for the erotic thriller, James Spader, and uh, effectively, right. it's a bit like the movie Audition, in the sense that man who wants perfect wife gets perfect wife, but things aren't as simple as they seem on the surface. Uh, he doesn't end up getting all his limbs chopped off, but in this movie, he does marry a woman in Machen Amik's character who is uh, troubled, let's say, and who may or may not be cheating on him, lying to him, living a double life, going behind his back. All this sounds pretty enticing, pretty interesting, pretty juicy. It's one of the flattest movies of this kind I have ever seen. It runs an hour and three quarters. It has these weird kind of sub-Lynchian um, inserts where they're sort of like dream sequences for the Spader character where he's at a fairground. And it's almost as if the director has watched Machen Amik in Twin Peaks and thought, yeah, I'm going to do a bit of that. That's how I'm going to put my stamp on this film. A bit of sort of weird, out there, esoteric, Lynchian stuff. It doesn't work. It's like weird and embarrassing for everyone, and particularly James Spader. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, man. There's like a couple of titillating love scenes, as you would expect in a movie of this sort. Uh, Machen Amik is, is gorgeous, as you would expect. Aside from that, man, it just drags and drags and drags. And it almost makes you think... Is this how thrillers were in the early 90s? Maybe, maybe <laughs> our standards have just sort of shifted or, or upped uh, over the, the ensuing years because even the twist ending or the sort of twist ending that you get here is like so basic, so slow and so sort of like leaden. It's, it's a really odd one. But anyway, that's uh, Dream Lover. Uh, check it out if you're a, a spader completist or whatever, but disappointing, uh, I would say, to say the least. Have you got any more? Uh, I do, yes, I have actually. I did want to talk about. I rewatched Monos as well, talking about films we rewatched from last year. So Monos, I think, was my number two uh, film of last year, just just closely behind Apollo Eleven. Um, yeah, this film again, like I've watched this again, and I think I enjoyed it even more second time round. So if we had a rerun, if we had a rerun of the best films of 2019, there might be a, there might be some might be some sort of mixing up to do of the order of films. But yeah, Monos um, is just an incredible piece of work. Like almost, I would say, hypnotic beautiful incredible sound design just the, the film is is absolutely stunning i don't think i've seen as as good looking a film for quite some time now um and i think i think last year had some very good looking films to be fair uh directed by alejandro landes who i think is argentinian um it's this basically it's set it's uh, tells the story of a child of a unit of child soldiers um, who are tasked with looking after um, a US hostage and a cow um, and yeah it doesn't go to plan the kids end up deep in the jungle and I think you can it doesn't take too much of a reach to see where the film goes from there but yeah just an absolute just another absolutely incredible piece of work really and just one of the most beautiful scene, films I've seen in a long long time so if you haven't caught up with this Pete again this is one you, you should catch up with um, sooner rather than later I thought it was absolutely superb yeah still haven't man still haven't it's on the list I'm going to get to it I promise and then I'll talk about it uh, on the show uh, one more that again uh, you've outdone me because I know you've seen this and I've just caught up with it is uh, Brigsby Bear Brigsby Bear uh, from director Dave McCrary 
Um, this one is also co-written by its star, uh, Kyle Mooney. And you know, earlier on, you said like it's Lynch meets Ken Loach when you were talking about Bay. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie, and you'll know whether I'm accurate here, this movie to me struck me as Dogtooth meets Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, right, okay. so you've got the dog tooth element is that you've got this character played by uh, Kevin, uh, sorry, Kevin, Kyle Mooney, who is seemingly in his 30s, I guess. But at the open of the movie, he is living a very regimented life um, that gets interrupted when it is revealed to him that the people who have been uh, his effectively his parents uh, as far as he can remember are not his real parents and have been lying to him in like every possible way and warping his view of the entire world but central to that view of the world is his relationship with this show Brigsby Bear involving uh, a man in a bear costume who teaches lessons about life algebra and sort of existentialism whilst having adventures in a sort of vaguely i don't know what the comparison is more than more than no. teletubbies <laughs> but like uh ugh, like uh rainbow <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's yeah that's about so, as close something as like that it, it's sort of mighty boosh but without being knowingly mighty boosh-esque I, I guess so he's got all his life lessons from this show when he comes out into the world he doesn't really know how to operate and has to figure out how he can continue to love the things that he loves without being basically an, an outcast within the society that he now finds himself in. I thought that the setup was really interesting here. The Napoleon Dynamite stuff, of course, is this guy is a, a massive nerd and then is very ill at ease in the world when he's out in the world. I thought that the setup was really interesting. Um, I thought that it was just unexpected and kind of shocking in certain ways. And then... Once he gets out, he builds a, a fairly touching relationship with a friend that he makes at a house party. I appreciated the interplay between those two. Ah, there's just something about the film, I guess, that felt... Um, disingenuous is the wrong word, but less genuine than maybe it could have been. I don't know. There is something about it struck me as, as just a little bit... Um, a little bit of a put-on, a little bit of a fun time, and I... I think that they were dealing with a lot of issues all at once, and sometimes that comes off better than other times, maybe. Uh, what, what, what did you make of Brigsby Bear when you saw it? Uh, when I saw it, I quite enjoyed it. I'm with you. I think I think there's kind of I think they try and sort of throw a lot of issues at the wall, um, and not all of it sticks in terms of what the the point they're trying to make with the film. But I think it had it had certainly it had a mood to it which I which I quite enjoyed. I do remember coming out of it thinking actually I like that. It's it's kind of it's it's yeah it, i think it, it did enough it did enough good to draw me in i think um and i quite yeah i quite like the mood of it i quite liked the um the kind of weirdness of it really and it is it is quite hard to pigeonhole exactly what the film is all about but yeah i'm with you i think there was a few too many things kind of thrown at the wall um and not all of them stuck but overall i remember enjoying it yeah, so, yeah. i suppose a bit like that movie um frank uh, about Frank Sidebottom with michael fassbender yeah i thought uh, yeah they, it's kind of yeah they they frank i think suffers from well I say Frank suffers I remember enjoying Frank as well but I think there is there is similarities between the two I think in terms of how it how it tells its story yeah sure. yeah just I suppose the comparison for me is like they they both have this setup and you're introduced this really interesting character and, and maybe the motivations for the character being that the way that they are are a, a bit murky and you think that the film is going to sort of peel away layers of this character as the as the plot unfolds and maybe 
in both cases, but certainly here talking about Brigsby Bear, it felt at times like it maybe didn't go far enough into exploring. It, it also seems like it, the film isn't interested in anything else except for the character's real-world relationship with this particular bear and the show, yeah. as if, like, the other people in the world are sort of cardboard cutouts who only function to give the impression that he's in the real world. And that became a problem for me. So, yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, it's a quirky, sort of interesting thing, and I think people should watch it, but um, but maybe just sort of slightly disappointing in, in maybe its execution. That one's Brigsby Bear. Have you got any more, Paul? Uh, no, I'm done. Cool. Well, week. in that case, we will jump straight out of this section, but we will return very shortly with the show that uh, the show with the section of the show that we introduced last week called Stream Team. I forgot the name of our own section uh, with the, the section of the show that we call yeah. uh, very confidently <laughs> Stream Team. Right after this. So yeah, welcome back. This is Stream Team. So basically we're going to pick um, a film from sort of three out of, I mean, there's more than three streaming services out there, but yeah, from different streaming services um, uh, across the board, really, and just give you a recommendation for things maybe you haven't seen, maybe you have, and maybe you want to watch them again. So uh, I'll dive in first with my recommendation this week uh, from Netflix, which is a film that I think we were both quite fond of. Um, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, uh, directed by an actor that I very much like, um, who starred in Blue Ruin, which is the our very first podcast which is still around somewhere um that is directed by this is Macon Blair directed this it's his directorial debut um this is uh, a very enjoyable indie thriller starring Melanie Linsky um and Elijah Wood um it's just a, a really really fun dark sort of darkly comic um film that I had a really good time with Pete you've seen this I think haven't you I think we talked about it on the show to be fair but yeah I liked it a lot man I liked it a lot and it's one of those that it got a push for a little while on Netflix when it first released and probably has sunk down within the algorithm to somewhere a bit more distant that you might have to search out with within uh, the platform so yeah a good recommendation i think for uh, people maybe who missed it the first time round or on its initial release yeah i think so yeah again as you say the algorithm is going to this is going to have disappeared um right to the bottom of the thing i don't this i don't think this will come up if you're kind of randomly randomly flicking through netflix looking for something to watch so certainly seek it out but yeah i'm not going to say too much about it because it's not really a point this isn't not really the point of this section i guess is to review the stuff but um yeah it's a, it's a great little film and if you haven't if you haven't seen sort it out yet then do so and elijah wood's brilliant in this as well it's a very funny performance so yeah, yeah that's my that's my first one pete what have you got first for us i, I was just going to tag on that point, on, like, sorry equal parts uh, comedic and sort of unflinchingly brutal that's what you get from from Macon Blair with that thing so uh, go in with eyes open on that but yeah really good uh, what I have got first my Netflix recommendation is a little movie called Mr. Right from 2015 which I do feel has been completely overlooked by most people this is um, basically a, a a vehicle for Anna Kendrick and Sam Rockwell who are both actors that I like quite a bit and here they get to just have a really good time but in the good way not the bad way not the bad way where the result is a mess or at least in my opinion this is not a mess of a film uh, so the Kendrick character is looking for her ideal man and she seems to have found him in the shape and form of Sam Rockwell however he has one um, issue one piece of significant baggage which is that he is a hired gun he's a hitman who is currently on the run from mob bosses that he has 
uh, upset in various ways. Uh, they are out for blood and they are out for him and he has to protect himself. And now, because he's become involved with Anna Kendrick's character, he also has to protect her. Uh, it's just knockabout fun. It's quite inventive. It's quite sharp. Uh, this one is from uh, writer Max Landis, who, of course, is John Landis' son, yeah. uh, who's written on things like Bright, the movie that, to be fair, I didn't like that much, but uh, Bright, American Ultra, which I thought was decent, and Chronicle, which I think is really good. So uh, he's got some chops. He's He's a young guy writing scripts that are um, sought after, uh, at least at a sort of mid-budget mid budget level. And Mr. Wright is just one of those that I think people haven't seen and should see because it's a good time. Um, it's on Netflix, as I say, right now. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, it's childish. There's lots of blood. There's lots of shooting. You'll enjoy it. Have you seen this one, Paul? I have not, no. I might, might find it over the weekend, to be fair. So do it. I will do. I will do. Um, up next for me is a film that I remember being an enjoyable design disaster um but if it isn't enjoyable i will apologize next week because i'm going to watch this again this week as well uh, the southland tales has arrived on mubi um which was richard kelly's um widely regarded disastrous follow-up to donnie darko um i remember liking elements of this i remember thinking i remember watching the trailer thinking this could be one of this is going to be incredible like the trailer blew me away um you've got dwayne johnson here in an early role sarah michelle geller sean williams scott um, there's loads of people in Justin this film. Justin Timberlake. I was going to say Justin Timberlake turns up in this, doesn't he? Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of a lot of big names in this film. It was a very cool cast at the time for sure. Um, and I think I remember liking, as I said, I remember liking elements of this film. Um, I haven't seen it for years. I mean, I'm very excited to watch it again because it's. I think. I remember thinking, oh, this, this at least it was interesting. I don't think it'll work. I'm not going to sit here and wax lyrical that I that, I'm, that I think it's a an incredible piece of work and it's a misunderstood masterpiece. From what I remember, it's not. It is a bit of a mess, but I'm quite excited to watch it again. Uh, and I'll certainly be watching it this week and talking about it on the next show. So that's the Southland Tales now streaming streaming on Mubi. Nice. Um, I'll I'll give a nod to something on Mubi, but I'm going to talk about something on Film Four. Uh, if you want to switch your brain on and give your undivided attention to something that is going to be quite challenging, check out the Image Book, the John Luke Goddard movie on uh, Mubi, because it is uh, fantastic, I think, but very very hard to explain and sort of like an experience as much as it is a film. So very very Jean Luc Goddard then. It's it's not a, it's not a narrative feature by by any means. Well. Uh, you could make an argument. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about this week, but it is really good. What I want to talk about this week is on Film 4, which is available uh, these days via All 4 as well. So if you have that service, they keep like a little like mini oh, Netflix. I didn't, know it was, I didn't know Film 4 was on All 4 now. It is, yeah, man. So it's like um, like having Netflix if Netflix only had like 20 films on it. Right, okay. Uh, but those films are generally very good, uh, very high quality, or at least um, curated in a way that is uh, more discerning than your Netflix, for example. Yeah. Uh, a bit more like Mubi in that regard, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but maybe not as high-minded as Mubi. What I'm going to recommend then is a film that probably many of you have seen, but if you have not, now is the time to see it or rewatch it. Neil Marshall's film, The Descent, is currently on the All 4 service, the Film 4 channel. Uh, this one with Shauna McDonald and uh, Natalie Mendoza and you know the story I imagine by this point a group of women who are um 
meeting up to go potholing or is there another name for that potholing is right spelunking yeah. i don't know uh that they're, they're meeting up to go under the ground and go through small spaces because that's the way that they can have a good time on a weekend uh however they come laden with trauma at least in the case of the shauna mcdonald character who lost her partner in tragic circumstances and it's almost as if the descent of the film could be both literal and figurative is it not paul uh you while... are sometimes you are very clever Pete. yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stroking my chin as we speak. But uh, uh, while they're underground, uh, tensions arise between them or inflame between them. And this is executed very, very well. Neil Marshall's done something miraculous here. Like earlier on, I said about Underwater that you start thinking about mm. how the filmmakers pulled this off because it's kind of obvious that it doesn't all it isn't all unified. The opposite effect for me with The Descent, the fact that Neil Marshall did this on a very limited budget, but you never think about that when you're watching the film because it's so well put together uh, in terms of space and in terms of the organisation of that space and the movement of the characters through a huge cave system that doesn't really exist. But uh, yeah, The Descent's fantastic. Check it out if you haven't. Watch it again if you have. Uh, it's creepy. I mean, if you're feeling a bit claustrophobic and caught up in your house, maybe I should have recommended literally any other movie. But you know, uh, I'm here to uh, go against expectations. Paul, what have you got? Is it Prime we've got left? It's Amazon Prime is my last one of this week for Stream Team. Um, this is The Big Sick from 2017, uh, directed by Michael Showalter, but written by Commander Jani and real-life partner, or possibly wife now, in fact, uh, Emily V. Gordon. Um, this is a great little film that I still think I think is massively underappreciated um, in in a lot of circles. I think it probably I think it should have done better on award season and it didn't, but that's quite often the way. So that that aside, basically, um, Kamal Ninjani um, and falls in love with a, a grad student, um, but struggle as their cultures clash. Um, so basically, he can't really accept her for who she is, and he struggles to kind of hide things from her. And there is a culture clash between sort of Pakistani and American culture, um, which is basically based very much heavily on his real life experiences because I said he wrote this with his real life partner um, and then uh, who else have we got here we've got Zoe Kazan who plays um, come on who plays his partner here uh, Holly Hunter who's great in this and Ray Romano who played the, the parents of um, the girl played by Zoe Kazan who ends up in a coma after a mysterious illness um, yeah it's a really 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 good comedy I think it's and it's, it's a very, just a very heartfelt romantic film I think it's really really sharp, sharply written and really well put together and if you haven't seen it yet I don't think you'll be disappointed if you check this one out mm. isn't he an uber driver in it he is an uber driver yeah, it, yeah. so it's one of at least two movies where Kamel and Johnny maybe, there's no, maybe there'll be a third one in the uber trilogy <laughs> the uber trilogy yeah may, maybe so man it's it's really good though and as you say it's very very similar to his real life because yeah. uh, Emily V Gordon got very sick and this is where they had the motivation to write the movie so yeah it's a, a really strong recommendation mine is also on Amazon Prime this one is from uh, Alejandro Amenabar uh, this one Abre los ojos or Open Your Eyes if you prefer this is the movie that was remade into Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, but this is vastly superior. I'm bound to say that because I'm an elitist, but it is a better movie. In both films, you have Penelope Cruz. She's sort of like the, the common link between the two of them, other than the, the events of the film, of course. Uh, Penelope Cruz speaking Spanish 
in anything, but in this, when we've got a direct comparison, is infinitely a better actress than Penelope Cruz speaking English as she mm. does in Vanilla Sky. Uh, here you have this story of a guy who has a jealous ex. The, uh, an argument ensues with a jealous ex that results in him having an accident. The accident leaves him disfigured. He used to have it all and now he has some of it, but he also has a disfigured face and has to try to come to terms with that or not come to terms with it and try to get sort of revolutionary, almost futuristic um, treatment to aid him in his predicament. This is fantastic. It's really, really good. And I think it's underseen. I think a lot of people saw Vanilla Sky and figured that's the film because, you know, there are things to recommend that, not least the fact that it opens with um, Everything in Its Right Place by Radiohead, uh, the opening sequence of that, which is cool. But... This is the better movie. I can't stress that enough. And it's now streaming on Prime and it didn't used to be streaming anywhere. So check it out. I'm going to find it. I've not actually seen it. So I will catch up with that this week. I've been meaning to watch that for years. Really like, good. Yeah. yeah, really good. Uh, yeah. Uh, open your eyes on Prime video. Now, that's the end of this, isn't it, Paul? That is. Yeah, that is the end of Stream Team. So yeah, if you've got any recommendations for people, throw them out onto the social media page, throw them on the Instagram, put them wherever you like, really. So um, yes, yeah, if you want to recommend things to other people uh, that also listen to the show and read the page, then I said we are, we will welcome that. So yeah, all good. All nice. Good. Nice. Well, we'll check out for a moment and we'll be right back then with today's big juicy feature review, which is of the limited series now streaming on Netflix, Tiger King, right after this. So yeah, we are back with, I said, we've, we've mixed up a little bit this week, as you said, Pete, before, um, because there's not as many films coming out at the moment. And, you know, Tiger King is still a limited series. Ultimately, it's a long documentary film. So um, I think it qualifies and we're doing it because it's our show. So, um, and I'm quite excited to talk about Tiger King, to be fair, because it's absolutely bonkers. Um, to give it its full name, this is Tiger King or Murder, Mayhem and Madness, which I think sums it up quite well. Um, this is um, directed by, who made this? This, Pete, let me just find out. Bear with me. Sorry, I've come ill prepared here. I don't think anyone actually cares, like in a way. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I know, I'll tell you who does care. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin does not like the people who made this movie. There are others involved in the uh, in the movie, in the series. There are others involved in the series who are very upset with the filmmakers uh, for various reasons. So we've got we've got episodes seven episodes each directed by Rebecca Traiklin and Eric Good are the directorial team behind this. Um, just I'm not sure what they've I haven't seen stuff they've made before, but. I mean, where do we start with? Should we start with a clip of Tiger King, or do we try and set? Do well, you want to try and set, try and set this one up for us, rather than yeah, I mean, bonkers. Everybody's seen it, so I think we should get spoilery after the clip. But uh, this one tells the story, or sort of. Um, charts the the rise and fall of a real life figure who changed his name i believe by deed poll to joe exotic uh, <laughs> joe exotic is the proprietor of a essentially what is uh, is rather unfavorably called a roadside zoo although that is what it is a zoo by the roadside specializing in exotic animals as you might guess from his moniker uh, particularly tigers uh, hence the title of the series uh, he is a guy who is beset by problems uh, problems some of his own making when it comes to his relationships with other zoo owners and also at times his perception in the public domain he is not a man who is afraid to speak his mind he's also an incredibly flamboyant gay man who's quite um 
quite keen on uh, being a sort of serial monogamist, sometimes a, a polygamist. Uh, he has multiple husbands during the course of this thing. There's so much to talk about, Paul. Before we get into it all, though, here's a little clip. The day Travis came to the park, he looked like just a little innocent person. I am 19 years old, and I am from Southern California, and I am tall, tan, and beautiful. He arrived, and my God, it was the six foot six, dark complected uh, gentleman with the most god awful big hands you've ever seen in your life. Joe immediately is like love struck by this. So we're taking the trash trailer down one day. John's driving the truck. Me, Joe, and Travis are in the back of the trailer. And uh, Joe says, How straight are you? And he goes, Pretty straight. And I said, Do you watch porn? He says, yeah. I said, well, do you enjoy the guy with the little one doing her, or do you enjoy watching the guy with the big one doing her? And he says, well, obviously, you want to watch the guy with the big one. I said, well, you ain't that straight. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I don't know, where, where I mean, where do you start with, with, with material like this? I guess we'll start with the kind of the, the choice of subjects, I guess. Like, they've, they've walked straight into gold here. Let's, let, let's be honest. In terms, of, in terms of subjects that are interesting to make a documentary about, sometimes I think with documentary filmmaking, if you pick the right subjects, the documentary can kind of make itself. Um, and uh, I think definitely with, with this, um, I think I described it in my letterbox review as a thoroughly entertaining look at uh, the biggest wretched hive of scum and villainy outside of Moss Eisley Cantina, uh, because there is, there is barely a redeeming character in this, in this series. Would you say that's fair to say? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was just going to touch on what you said at the, the beginning. I think, yes, you've got to credit the directors for choosing, you know, the right subject, I suppose. But it also made me think of other documentaries that have stumbled on something because of the fact that people within that um, world have been recording everything. This is yeah. this is the documentary you need to make because here we've had people with video cameras. I mean, Joe Exotic himself insists on everything being recorded. <laughs> yeah. If he's feeding the tigers, record it. If he's petting the tigers, record it. If he's just hanging out, spouting off about his rivals, record that. <laughs> he starts making TV shows, online content, music videos. He just wants apparently his the voice... music videos aren't him. He's lip syncing those. To yeah, he's lip syncing. Apparently, but, <laughs> but it's by the by because he yeah. just wants people to know who he is he wants to be famous he's sort of a fame yeah. whore this guy uh, and so when the filmmakers came to make tiger king they realized well we've got all of this great footage we just need to stitch it together into something and by and large i think they managed to do that and there's so much to throw at the wall that some of it's gonna stick right i mean some of the events in the movie that i that i noted down when i was trying to sort of come up with a way to talk about this uh, we've got the angle yeah. of, of course uh, mistreatment or even direct cruelty towards animals on the part of joe exotic and also owners of other establishments other zoos and attractions uh, We've got the intensity, of course, of the rival that he, the rivalries that he has, particularly with Carol Baskin, that bitch. <laughs> uh, that's a big one. Uh, somebody he else is who, not a fan of Carol, is he? No, but Baskin <laughs> here is this woman who uh, owns a another establishment called Big Cat Rescue, uh, and Big Cat Rescue are sort of holier than thou because they say, well, what we're doing is rescuing tigers. What you're doing is exploiting them. We rescue animals, you exploit animals, and this sets her at loggerheads with 
with Joe Exotic and the gang. Uh, then we've got the fact that everybody who works for the DW uh, Zoo, which is run by Joe Exotic, is this kind of ragtag uh, band of <laughs> brothers and sisters. But, you know, between them, we've got a guy who's got like meth mouth, who is the first or second, <laughs> first husband, second husband? Second first husband, because there's, no, there's another husband that was in the Louis Three documentary. Another husband died. So a, a previous husband to the one that sadly dies in this. We'll get oh, to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But meth mouth boy, meth mouth boy doesn't die. No, Matt Boy doesn't die, no. Yeah, no. and so you've got those. You've got a girl, you know, who gets her arm bitten off by a tiger and then carries on working there. She's fine with it. Uh, yeah, you, you've got just all sorts of people who are, yeah, like a like a misfit, a group of misfits who all get paid absolute garbage. Oh, pay. the guy with no the guy with no legs that manages the zoo for him. Um, who who lost his? It turns out that guy lost his legs in a theme park accident. But apparently, it was a theme park that his friends built, and he mm. was the first one to test the ride, uh, and he lost his legs in an accident. So, Brilliant. I mean, this is like you shouldn't laugh at these people because obviously that is a tragic accident. But if you've seen the show, like, I, it, just this this bunch of people is just it's bonkers absolutely bonkers well and not to mention man that we've got this within the events that happen which basically lead up to i guess the show's real focus in terms of what they want it to be which is this sort of uh making a murderer adjacent thing where you've got a plot to um hire a gunman to kill carol baskin effectively that's what it all culminates in is that case the legal case that landed joe exotic in so much trouble but within that mix you've also got the accidental slash accidental suicide of uh one of the husbands of joe exotic on camera yeah. Or at least, at least, well, off camera with reaction very much on camera. Gunshot sound very much off camera. Uh, yeah, audible in the shot. Uh, so th- there's so much to sort of pick through. I mean, it's easy for us to say it's entertaining. Everybody who's seen it knows that it is entertaining. Do you think it's much more than that? Like much more than a sort of, you know, roadside attraction freak show? Do you think there's much more here than that? Not not massively. I'll, I'll be honest. I think as much as I enjoyed it, I don't think it's great. I think it's... It, it, Netflix have got this formula for their documentaries now, which goes down the route of we'll introduce something and then about we'll introduce a character that initially you are sympathetic towards and then bang suddenly there'll be something there'll be a big reveal and then bang there's another big reveal and it turns it on its head which don't get me wrong they did exceptionally well in the first series especially in the first series of making a murderer it works so well in that show that i was completely hooked to that and it you know it's it's documentary as entertainment like and, and ultimately like it needs to be entertaining for people to watch it i guess so this is definitely documentary as entertainment for sure which is nothing wrong with because i enjoyed it is it that good? No, I, I don't think it necessarily is. I think for me, it could have benefited from being probably two, possibly three episodes shorter than it is. There's the whole subplot about did Carol Baskin kill her husband or not? And I just, for me, that episode I just got bored with because I thought, I know what you're trying to do here. You're doing this whole Netflix bait and switch thing, which they love to do. But for me, there just wasn't enough, there wasn't enough weight to that th- that conspiracy theory to even warrant to maybe warrant maybe well, 15 it, minutes it, at most on yet alone they it did just like doesn't go anywhere it. no it exactly. doesn't go anywhere it's like there's not enough to it <laughs> yeah you have one side saying like uh you know carol baskin that bitch and then it's like you know just speculating about the way in which he did the killing i mean it's good stuff man like it's good entertainment when you've got yeah. a dude just like brazenly making a v- music video or a, a piece to camera talking directly to his audience about how this woman who is walking around as like a 
alive in the real world has done a murder and this is how she did the murder and I'm just broadcasting that now as if that couldn't come back to bite you just a little bit in the future <laughs> if something happens to that person at one point he shoots an effigy of Carol yeah. Baskin on, on camera YouTube. Yeah, on his YouTube channel for yeah. his show yeah it's madness the guy doesn't think sort of further than the end of his own nose which is all the more entertaining or if a little exploitative I guess on the part of the filmmakers here but it, it kind of felt like um peak algorithm like what yeah. do people like paul what do people like they like uh, murder true crime and they like cute cats these are like the top two things on the internet probably in pornography they couldn't put that part in because it's netflix so they've got a cute cats yep little uh, tiger kittens uh, tiger cubs and they've also got r- true crime uh, it's yeah. peak algorithm and then you've got this crazy cast of characters so totally entertaining everyone laps it up afterwards uh i like doing impressions of some of the characters but um <laughs> as a piece of like filmmaking i don't know man. yeah it's, just for me I, I do i do wish it had been shorter to be honest i just and like i don't, I don't i just it just didn't need to be as long as it was i think it would have been tighter i think it would have been better but a, a bit better to be honest but yeah was i entertained yes is it gonna is it a great documentary uh no <laughs> yeah some some other highlights though we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention some of these things like uh i, I wrote some down here uh, joshua dial the guy who is the campaign manager for joe exotic when he runs for governor and yeah. runs for president of the united states this guy who he met at the walmart ammunition counter <laughs> Uh, and then hires to do that job. And the guy says, uh, when I went to take the job, I thought it would be a great opportunity. And it turned into the two, uh, the worst two years of my entire life, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. He's good value. Some of these shady guys, uh, not least that really fat guy with the terrible hair who shows up near the end, who's like one of maybe the yeah, conspirators. The, 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 strip, the strip club owner, the local businessman yeah, and strip club owner, yeah. Jeff, Jeff Lowe's supposed friend. Like there's something wrong with Jeff Lowe, that character. He's not right. Oh, he's, he's a scumbag. Yeah, he's an absolute piece of shit that guy apparently there's another episode coming this week or next i did read i don't know how how true that was or whether i perhaps read that on i don't think i even read it on the first of april there is certainly a um series coming as in a dramatized series Uh, kate mckinnon is going to be carol baskin it's got to be danny mcbride for um uh, tiger king isn't it (laughs) yeah you could go that way i think a lot of people have thrown their hats into the ring when it comes to wanting to take that character but We'll see. I mean, you would because you could go to absolute town with it. You know, it's with the tasseled jackets and the and the moustache and the kind of uh, yeah, incredibly, just incredibly incredibly heavy eyebrow piercing that's literally pulled a bit of like a skin tag down from his eyebrow. Yeah, pulling his face down towards <laughs> yeah. the ground. Yeah, and and I mean the dude like lives lives out loud really like he you know everything from his sort of lows the we're told that his brother died and he has like a memorial within the park i think the name of the park has is a reference to his brother right, okay. who, who's died uh so you know you get very raw emotion from joe exotic both on that end and on the you know if i don't like you i'll talk openly about murdering you end as well which uh makes for yeah sort of juicy material for sure man yeah, so it's it's a whole lot of fun, but it's yeah, I can't wholeheartedly say it's a good piece of work. I think would be would be the best way I could be, I could be honest about it. Yeah, but it almost doesn't matter. It's almost no. like as long as you know what you're getting yourself in for, which is this just dumb, crazy, near unbelievable, you know, uh, truth is stranger than fiction type tale. You're absolutely right, man. I think it is a bit too long. I think it drags stuff out and it kind of repeats the same points. But I think a lot of people won't notice that and will just be having so much of a good time with the popcorn. 
you know, munching on popcorn and seeing all this stuff unfold and, and sort of implode that, that, yeah, it won't really matter the quality of the filmmaking at the end of the day. People will remember it as this wacky experience that basically everyone experienced together because yeah. we were all locked in our houses at the time yeah, and had almost no yeah. other options. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well, to be honest. So that is Tiger King, which is now available on Netflix. If I'd be very surprised if anyone listening hasn't watched it, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Paul, testament to how many people have watched this. We do at the moment every Friday night a little uh, quiz on like Zoom or video conferencing, house party or whatever, yeah. with some friends of, of Francesca's and. Uh, one of the rounds on last week's quiz was 10 questions all on Tiger King. So we felt fortunate about the fact that we watched this, I think, as soon as it released. So we were really uh, clued up on the on the series. But yeah, everybody there pretty much had seen it all the way through. So yeah, it's it's been a massive phenomenon. And yeah. we'll see what happens with this whole Kate McKinnon project as a series, because it could be entertaining. It could be a bit of a you know sort of instantly forgotten and, and mm. less and less relevant as the days go by but who knows that one yeah as you say is tiger king on netflix right now but that's not the end because we want to tag onto that some recommendations of other documentaries if you enjoyed or maybe felt that uh, enjoyed tiger king or felt that it was lacking in some way we've got some other good uh, recommendations for you coming up in our top five streaming documentaries right after this Yes, so this is documentaries that we like that are available uh, in my case both on across Netflix and Disney Plus. Um, we tried to find things that were on sort of paid for streaming services, so not stuff that you can rent necessarily. So if you have access to those streaming services, these documentaries will be there. Um, I think did Pete have you done the same thing? I think you, I think you possibly have done. Yeah, mine are exclusively Prime Video and Netflix. Okay, cool. Cool, all good. So um, do you want to go first, Pete, with number number five? Sure thing. So number five for me is a documentary that I've actually seen very recently. Um, and it's another Netflix one. So, you know, right adjacent to Tiger King and etc. Uh, this one is called Sour Grapes. Uh, Sour Grapes from 2016, although it's dropped only recently, I think in the last couple of months. Uh, this tells the story of a man called uh, Rooney Kurniawan. Kurniawan, I'm going to say. Uh, Rudy, uh, our central character here, the, the most interesting thing or the focus of the documentary, is a man uh, of Asian extraction who shows up on the luxury wine auction scene. Bear with me. It turns out that this world is a world full of high rollers. Guys, particularly guys, there is the odd woman, but pretty much guys, it's a bit of a boys club, who go to these auctions to purchase the finest wines available, the greatest vintages, some of them extremely old, some of these men in their own right, multi-millionaires or even billionaires. And then they have oftentimes lavish parties at which they consume only bottles of wine that cost, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of uh, dollars ago into this world steps this mysterious uh, Asian American guy who uh, suddenly starts spending more money than anyone at the auctions nobody really knows where his money came from but there's talk that he comes from a dynastic background a family who have a massively successful and profitable business and they can just bankroll all of his purchasing the documentary, though, Paul, gets intriguing as a Netflix documentary, as you flagged earlier on, will do, because it 
all is maybe not as it seems with this guy and his backstory begins to unravel as does his status in this world to say more than that would be to spoil it this is really good don't be put off by the fact that i opened up by saying high-priced wine auction uh because uh, it's it's one of those man it's a a kind of high concept uh, idea about what if this and i can't say what the this is uh, for obvious reasons but yeah that one sour grapes on netflix now uh, you will enjoy it if you like intrigue etc paul what's number five for you uh, number five for me is available on Netflix. This is a documentary called uh, Behind the Curve. Um, this is looks at, it gives airtime to a number of flat earthers, a small but growing contingent of people who firmly believe in a conspiracy to suppress the truth that the earth is flat. Uh, it's not. Um, it's the earth is definitely not flat if anyone listening to the show thinks the earth is flat then tune out Um, I'll be I'll be perfectly frank with you this is kind of I mean it's not a one-sided it's not a balanced documentary in fact they managed to dis. what's great about this is it spends a lot of time watching them disprove their own theories about the earth actually being flat Um, it's more I would say it's more entertaining than it is informative although I had no idea just how batshit crazy some of these people were with some of the theories of what they actually think how a flat earth would actually work so it opened my eyes into into just how far deep down the rabbit hole these or just how deep down the rabbit hole these guys have gone with this insane theory that the earth's actually flat um a couple of them are surprisingly likable characters in in all fairness um but it's yeah it's highly entertaining um you will have a laugh at other people's expense for sure with this um i had a good time with it peter did you catch up with this one or yeah, man, go go for the experiments. <laughs> yeah. The experiments yeah. are my favourite part. Well, like, they, dis- people... they disprove their own theories constantly. <laughs> it's just brilliant when they're like so sure that they're about to get the results that will prove all the sheeple wrong or whatever, and then and then they don't. But yeah, uh, a bunch of boneheads. But it is pretty, uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty entertaining. Highly stuff. entertaining. So that's behind the curve uh, now streaming on Netflix. Nice number five. Ne- Next one for me, number four, this one on Prime Video right now. Um, And again, bear with me. It is a football documentary from 2011 called The Four Year Plan. But Paul, you are the first person at that point who would stop listening. Don't stop listening. (laughs) Uh, This tells the story of the four year plan that was put in place by Queen's Park Rangers, QPR, London football team, uh, who were taken over by a combination of Flavio Briatore and Bernie Eccleston from the field of... Formula One, of course. Uh, These guys massively rich, but know nothing or next to nothing about football. But what they decide is we're going to breeze into this club and we've got a four-year plan and it's going to result in QPR getting to the Premier League. This is... I mean, at the moment, there's stiff competition because Sunderland Till I Die is on Netflix, really entertaining, really well made. I like it a lot. But in terms of just like the kind of essence, the spirit of the Tiger King here, if you just want like batshit idiocy plus football <laughs> this is what you've got here and for the for the idiocy quotient there you don't really need to care that much about football to get a kick out of this documentary the four-year plans are endlessly entertaining uh check it out it's actually uh, i was gonna say it's a mini series maybe that's wrong i think maybe it's just a two-hour feature but anyway it's on prime video uh, the four-year plan really good what have you got paul at number four uh this is cosmos a space-time odyssey not the original version but the version from 2014 with neil degrasse tyson that i believe is is well i, I don't believe is now on now streaming on disney plus um this series just blew my fucking head off like i felt like at times i thought my brain was going to dribble out of my ears because it's uh, it's just it's just mind-blowing the stuff that you can learn from the show about like the 
the creation of the universe, the age of the universe. It's so Neil deGrasse Tyson presents it in such an interesting uh, and fa and fantastic way. The special effects scenes are incredibly well done. It just on it just takes you right back to the to the very beginning of time, uh, to the very beginning of creation. And there's one sort of infographic that they use, just infographics that melt your brain basically. Like, and you're like, in the great in the grand time of in the grand scheme of things, how long the, the universe has been here, how long the Earth's been here. It's it's absolutely bonkers and it's incredible i've learned so much from it you have to, you have to pay attention to it it's, it's definitely like being back at school um but degrasse tyson proves to be a good teacher here i haven't seen the original carl sagan series of which this is kind of a re oh not a reworking but a continuation of i'll be honest i haven't seen that series but yeah cosmos of space time odyssey i think there's a new series about just possibly launched at the same time as well which i haven't seen yet which i think is on disney plus as well but yeah if you haven't seen cosmos um and are willing to learn some stuff check it out it's brilliant nice uh, i haven't seen it so i should it sounds really interesting for sure uh number three for me is one i've talked about on the show before actually on prime video at the moment a film from 2016 um this one from penny lane it is called nuts penny lane of course made another documentary that's also on netflix right now called hail satan with a question yeah, mark. i enjoyed hail satan yeah of the two in my humble opinion nuts is the better proposition um nuts is this wild story of a guy called john romulus brinkley who was an eccentric entrepreneur uh, who built an empire basically through the combination of lies radio masks uh, masts i should say and goat's testicles um those are the key elements that he brings together true story almost unbelievable again truth is stranger than fiction i've really tried to uh, imbue the spirit of the tiger king i guess into some of my picks here but uh yeah th this is great and it's maybe a little more tucked away purely because it's on prime video not netflix and i don't feel like well first of all let's be clear here paul because we're talking about prime video more than ever on the show at the moment almost couldn't be curated worse than it is <laughs> in terms of the interface in terms of the search functionality in terms of the descriptions that you get if you load up prime video on for example a ps4 i know you've got one i've got one you'll get a cast list paul you can go into the cast list and then the uh, typeface has been cut off after the first name oftentimes so yeah. you see oh who, which actor is this oh it's mark oh okay it's mark brilliant this is Jeff Bezos, the richest man on earth, and he can't make a workable interface for his streaming service. But that's a side note to the fact that, yeah, people may not pay so much attention to stuff buried in that fucking quagmire of Prime Video streaming service. Search this out. It's nuts, uh, literally, and it is also called nuts. Uh, it Well worth your time. Paul, what's at number three for you? Uh, I talked about it earlier, and I'm going to bring it up again now. This is number three. This is Making a Murderer, uh, the Netflix-produced uh, show that basically um, made the formula that Tiger King follows, and basically every documentary on Netflix since has followed the formula, done in almost to perfection by certainly Series 1 of Making a Murder. I enjoy Series 2, don't get me wrong, but Series 1 was, for me, the ultimate, like, at the end of every episode, you're like, what has happened now? What has happened now? And then you, oh, just, dude, the bit you just, oh my God, I think I must have done about eight episodes in a row the, the bit with this do you remember the end of the episode 
about the syringes. Yeah, yeah, you're oh. right. This is this is it. This is a game. Every at the end of every episode, there's what looks like to be a game changer, and you just yeah. and then thankfully there's autoplay. Thankfully it was all there. But yeah, we just sat there. I remember sitting there hungover and just watched all pretty much all of it in a day. Um, yeah, it's it's very good at what it does. It's again documentary as entertainment with for without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but it's brilliant. It was so well put together. And again, something that I think it's one of those shows that I think took a little bit longer for everyone to see. But again, I think it's one of those Netflix. Shows that certainly everyone I speak to has seen making a murder and is aware of the, the Stephen Avery case. So yeah, I thought it was a it was a cracking bit of work. I, I enjoyed season two as well. I'll be fair because I'm hooked into the story now. But season one is nigh on perfect, perfect entertainment for without a shadow of a doubt. It was great. Now I don't know if you've seen this, but you know uh, Vic and Bob uh, Reeves and Mortimer, mm. they do on their big night out uh, show that they've got at the moment. Uh, you can stream that as well. Uh, they do a character. Bob does a character which is Stephen Avery, but it's imagining <laughs> that Stephen Avery, aside from potentially doing or not doing murders, has like really niche hobbies. Um, <laughs> it's it's worth the time. Anyway, uh, onwards uh, and well, I would say upwards, but more like downwards in the case of my my next one, and you'll see why it is. Into the Abyss, also on Prime Video. This, of course, from the man, the maestro, Werner Herzog. This, for me, um, and I've said this before on the show, contains one of my favourite Werner Herzog lines of all time, fiction or non-fiction. It's the scene in which, I should say, the the documentary is a documentary about... um, a particular case of a guy who is on death row uh, facing the death penalty in the United States penal system and Werner goes in to talk to this guy about his his feelings on the case, his feelings on death, his feelings on being put to death and then also sits down with the major players in the penal system to get their own personal reflection on the rights and wrongs of man putting man to death I guess is a way to sum it up but there is a conversation have you seen this by the way no I haven't no okay I'm not going to spoil anything I mean it's obviously a documentary rather than a feature but there's a sequence in which uh, Werner sits down with a guy whose job it is to take prisoners to the room in which they will be given the lethal injection and put to death and um, he's getting nowhere in the interview. He talks about this in in sort of a delete, uh, additional footage that you can find. But he talks about the way that he was getting nothing out of this guy and he needed something honest from him. But he didn't know how to penetrate through the veneer of a man who is working in such a rigid institu- institutionalized environment. And um, so he just asked the man to talk. He says, you know, when you come to work, what, what's your routine in the in the morning? What's your routine? He says, well, I have to go across the grass. It's quite a large uh, area of grass. So I usually get in a little golf buggy and I take the golf buggy across the grass and, um, you know, I just sort of get, gather my thoughts as I'm there. And he says, well, you know, do you ever have any strange experiences? Uh, and the response is, well, I mean, I might stop sometimes. For example, if there's a squirrel in my way. At which point, uh, Werner says the immortal line, describe an encounter with a squirrel. And from that question, the man completely changes and eventually becomes a sort of crumbled, raw, honest, open version of the person that was sitting there just a few minutes before. It's phenomenal documentary filmmaking. I mean, we know Werner's capable of great things when it comes to this medium, but... 
yeah, Into the Abyss is, is right up there with some of my favourite, at least favourite non-fiction stuff from Werner mm. Herzog. So that's my number two. What have you got at number two, Paul? Uh, I've got 2013's Blackfish at number two, which is currently streaming on Netflix, which is not an easy watch um, in the slightest. This is a documentary that f- uh, follows the kind of the captivity of killer whales and is a big factor in SeaWorld, I think, shutting down. Is SeaWorld still a thing after this? I might be mistaken, or it certainly hasn't got whales anymore is, is my understanding of it. Um, yeah, this is, is certainly not an easy watch in the slightest, but I think it's a very, very powerful documentary. Um, it follows mainly focusing the story of Tilikum, a, a, a killer whale in, in captivity. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a harrowing watch in places in terms of how these, how these whales are treated in captivity. It, I, ha- I had no idea. I, I was aware that whales were, affect, were one of the more intelligent mammals. I had no idea of the level intel- of intelligence of them until I sat down and watched this, to be fair. Um, and the treatment of them is, is disgraceful. Uh, there's, there's no other word for it. Like, there is, this, this film will bring tears to your eyes, um, without a shadow of a doubt. It's a harrowing watch, but it's an incredibly important film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, then get yourself in the right mood for it. Uh, maybe now is not the right time to watch Blackfish, uh, but it's a very important film and a very, very well-made documentary, I thought. Pete, have you seen this? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right in what you say. It's a really tough watch. And I mean, a, a, a sort of a base camp in terms of ascending the stuff that it deals with mm. uh, is is very much this idea of killer whales because people call them killer whales when yeah, in fact they are really orcas. Sure why. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're orcas who are known for being pretty placid, pretty friendly and hyper-intelligent. Mm. But yeah, I'm an animal lover. I love this. It did reduce me to, to tears. And I, I would say, do watch it. But immediately afterwards, search out the um, Mexican gangsters episode or, or sequence sketch from Key and Peele, in which uh, the Jordan Peele character shows off his boxer shorts with Tilikum the Blackfish. Uh, that will cheer you up after after you've seen this. Yeah, that's a fair shout, to be fair. Uh, yes, uh, that's my number two, yeah. Nice, nice, strong, strong recommendation. Number one for me, then, this is one that you absolutely have to see. If you if you or anyone that you know likes the kind of making a murderer, intrigue, true crime, oh my God, I've got to watch the next episode feel, you've got to see The Staircase. Have you seen The Staircase, Paul? I have not. I've heard oh. very good things about The Staircase, but I haven't watched it yet. Start as soon as possible. The Staircase is exactly as I describe. I mean, it centres on the high-profile murder trial for a guy called Michael Peterson, who is a fictional... A fictional... A fiction author. Uh, and intriguingly writes fiction that seems to revolve a lot about uh, around uh, spousal death. His spouse dies, oh Paul. Uh, but his spouse dies by falling quite innocently down a staircase. Right, open and fine. closed open and closed case. That's it. We don't need to investigate further. Except, Paul, for one thing. Well, apart from the fact that this guy seems incredibly suspicious. Uh, another person also died in mysterious circumstances around Michael Peterson a few years prior. <laughs> Do you know how they died, Paul? They, they died by the falling down the stairs. Yes. Uh, Wet... Okay, I, I can't say anything else because it'll ruin it, but I can say that there is a bonus episode at the end of this run. It's a limited series rather than a feature. At the end of the run of episodes, there is a bonus episode that seemed entirely vital to my wife and I, which is simply entitled Owl Theory. Right. Um, 
And so we were so deep in that we were we were just guzzling up everything else that they tagged onto the thing. But yeah, it's it's an intriguing character study. It's crazy. It's off the wall. It's something that will, you know, get you talking around you. I would say water cooler, but like on your next Zoom chat or whatever, whatever way you're keeping in touch with your nearest and dearest. But yeah, the staircase is, is great. Um, the, the Jinx is another one, but I don't think it's currently streaming on the major platform. So uh, maybe you can't get to that one. But uh, yeah, the staircase is really good. What's number one for you, Paul? Number one for me is my number one film of 2019. In fact, this has just started streaming on Netflix. You've got no excuse not to seek out Apollo 11, um, which for me is just an incredible piece of documentary filmmaking patched together from uh, mainly large formats, like 70 mil um, for archive footage of the uh, moon landing. So you see the rocket taking off. You see actual footage of the astronauts preparing. Um, it's all archive footage. In fact, the whole film is stitched together from archive footage. So you get a real, re really really good sense of a, of what it was like to be there and i think now more than ever i i think when we're, even when i watched i watched it at the time and thought in the face of brexit this is a really uplifting movie because it shows you know what the human race is actually capable of um so maybe now is an, an, an even better time to rewatch this as we sit in even darker times um and yeah it's just so well put together like the footage has all been remastered to 4k it looks absolutely stunning it's just a, a superb documentary and i, I it's absolutely also n not just not just a superb documentary, but arguably one of the most exciting films that I saw last year. Like, even on second viewing, I was on the edge of my seat when the rocket takes off. Um, you get a real sense of, of the, the kind of, just the raw the raw force of physics that it takes to put something into space and certainly get something to the moon. And it's just an, just a very exciting film, along with being a great documentary. So, yeah, if you haven't caught up with Apollo 11 yet, then, um, yeah, absolutely do so. Nice. Uh, very strong recommendations, I think, on both sides. So, yeah, make up your own mind, obviously, when you get to those or the ones that you haven't seen, at least. But all of them, as we said, are currently streaming at time of recording. Um, we have just one more thing left for today's episode, and that is the section of the show that we call Credits, where we give credit to something that is good from the world. Paul, have you got anything specific for the credits section this week? Uh, I've just started watching Eastbound and Down for the first time in my life, which was the making of Danny McBride, is my understanding. Um, yeah. That's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm he's with a, you. Yeah, he's a character. <laughs> yeah, there are there are a couple of lines that still are sort of immortal to me from that, and one of them's in the very first episode, so you will have seen it already, which is the description when Danny McBride's character is sat, sat in the exam for like becoming a, a school teacher. Yeah. And somebody recognises him as the for former fallen baseball player and describes him. Do you remember this bit? And uh, yeah, describes him as... He's on the phone to someone being like, yeah, it's him, it's him. Uh, and they're obviously asking him if he looks all right. And he says, no, he looks like a bag of smashed up arseholes, <laughs> which, which I just really appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, I'm only, I'm really only what, two episodes in, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it so far, to be fair. Nice. Uh, I have another music recommendation this week because I've been listening to loads of music recently, which uh, I'm enjoying a lot. This is a female artist called Sevdaliza uh, or Sevda Alizadeh or Alizadeh, I don't know, uh, an Iranian slash Dutch singer songwriter. Are you familiar with this person? Paul? I am not. 
Sevdaliza. So Sevdaliza played at Primavera that we both went to together, but unfortunately we missed her performance by about half an hour okay. because we were en route and we got kind of caught up, uh, which was disappointing for me. But now um, I've got to really dive into her stuff, not least because she's put out a couple of really good singles in the last month or two. Um, one of them called Oh My God and one of them called Lamp Lady. She's just this kind of beguiling figure um, that I've been a bit swept up by. And she's got a really interesting backstory as well, because uh, born as she was in Iran, her family moved her and uh, themselves to uh, Holland when she was quite young. And she took an interest in basketball. She's quite a tall, rangy character. And she got good enough that she represented the Dutch national basketball team oh, wow, okay. at, age, at age group level, I think when she was 16 or 17. And then has veered off into music. And sort of one of those artists, you know, when someone like, um, totally different music, I would say, but like someone like uh, Christine and the Queens, uh, Christine and the Queens, you, you see a sort of... Um, of a whole like unified vision like an artist who has not only the music and the voice but also the uh, choreography and also the uh, video production sort of aesthetic and you all those things fit together and give you a sense of like a whole character Sevdaliza has that the music videos are as worthwhile as the music nice. so I would go first to YouTube and check out her stuff because it's, it's really really good um, but anyway the stuff's available wherever you stream your music Sevdaliza uh, Paul that's about it isn't it apart from you know get in touch via social media particularly at Stranger Cinema the Twitter handle that we use uh, we also have an Instagram page updated regularly we've got a Facebook we've got an email address for long form questions or any queries you might have uh, strangers in a cinema at gmail.com hit us up there anything more from you paul before we check out for the week uh, no that's it from me we'll be back next week we will be back next week apologies yeah. for the uh, the delay uh, of this show there are reasons i'm not going into them uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that but yeah we'll be um we'll be back next week shut up and sit down